0: Yale Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to the World Fellows Podcast. My name is Emma Skye, and I'm director of the World Fellows Program at Yale. My guest today is Joy Olivia, a social entrepreneur from South Africa. Joy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Emma. Joy, you grew up in South Africa during a time of great transition. What did Nelson Mandela mean to you? He meant a lot of different things to me at different
1: times through that transition. So I remember the first time I ever heard his name, I was either six or seven years old. And I grew up on a farm and um, a little girl who lived on the farm next door to us, the two of us were in a lift club and then we would catch a bucky to the bus and then we would go in the bus. And she was a bit older than me, so she had to look after me on the bus, and she said to me, she said, do you know that there's a man called Nelson Mandela, and if you say his name, you're going to go to jail. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And this little girl was, I I really thought she was just the coolest person I'd ever met. She was about three years older than me. And we weren't allowed to chew bubblegum while in school uniform. And we... Um, We would always stop uh, at that transition between the lift Club and the bus. We would go into the little cafe and and buy some bubblegum. And I remember joyfully skipping up the road with her, chewing bubblegum in school uniform, chanting, Nelson Mandela, Nelson Mandela. (laughs) And and that that was what he meant to me. I mean, that was the, the level at which we were living in a bubble, just not knowing what was happening around us. Um, And then as I grew older, I was 14 years old when Mandela was released from prison. And I've read that one's political identity and ideals are formed during the ages of 14 and um, late teens. And I think that was definitely real for me. I think being that age at that time and seeing so many things shift has definitely had a very deep, um, impression on who I am and, and who I want to be in the world. Um, and now it's, um, it's a whole lot more complicated. Um, I think Nelson Mandela did amazing things in bringing peace and unity at a time when neither of those things seemed likely. Um, But I think as much as the idea of the Rainbow Nation achieved at that time, I think um, subsequent generations are now dealing with um, a lot of what was pushed under the carpet, And probably necessarily so that, um, you know, people wouldn't, we wouldn't have war. But um, I think a lot of white South Africans just um, conveniently felt off the hook by
0: that, by the Rainbow Nation ideology. It was peace versus justice. Exactly. And in South Africa, it was peace that came first.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And justice?
1: We've still got a long way to go before justice. And the longer it takes, the less
0: likely it is that that peace will be maintained. So how did you get involved in the field of education? Why did you choose that was something you wanted to focus on?
1: Um, I think it kind of chose me. Um, the field of education, I've always been a very enthusiastic learner and I definitely feel that education has played a big part um, in my life in terms of enabling me to access opportunities that weren't normal for um, for someone like me growing up on a farm whose parents hadn't gone to university. Um, so my own personal experience of education as a passport to other worlds and experiences and opportunities and options has been, um, yeah, just I'm so, so, so grateful for all of that. Um, How I ended up working in education was uh, looking, so I was doing research, working for the Human Sciences Research Council, and we were looking at uh, where the next generation of scientists were going to come from which involved looking at the maths and science results of um, matriculating students. That's when we first identified the massive discrepancies um, between academic achievement, particularly in those subjects um, across race. And it's that, yeah, just understanding how important access to these opportunities are, not just for individuals, but for the entire country and the importance that Individual transformation and access to opportunity leads to community-wide and country-wide transformation. Uh, the education called me into it, and uh, the co-founder of for Youth, Makosi Gogwana, and I just started tutoring at his old school as a response to the data that we were seeing, and, and as an opportunity for us to feel like we were doing something about what we were reading and writing about. Um, and it was... So it was just the two of you to begin with? It was. We sent emails to our friends saying, who wants to come tutor on a Saturday? And everybody said yes. And so everybody arrived, and none of us knew what we were doing. So the the model was really collaboratively developed with the learners that, that showed up. And that's been um, the way that it's worked since then. Um, the, the results of that have always been really surprising. Um, but in retrospect, I think it is exactly because... We approached it so openly and so collaboratively that the learners could take ownership that they had agency and they could really that's really underlying why it is what E-Cumber Youth does work so well. So how many young people have benefited from this? This year there are five and a half thousand learners enrolled in EcomeViews programs and its partner programs. And the reason, it's a little bit tricky to know the full numbers of people who've benefited because learners typically join one year and then stay for between two to four years. Um, We have over a thousand alumni, uh, most of whom are either in employment or in higher education. So, yeah, it's... So you can see the impact. Absolutely. We do alumni surveys every three years, where we look at where our alumni. We've managed to track down 60% or more of them each time we've done the survey. And we look at retention and throughput at tertiary, access to employment, and what people are earning. Um, The results are so encouraging and and um, massively motivating because we found that Ecumber Youth alumni are five times more likely than the average South African student to graduate on time. So that's including the privileged kids and I often think that adversity breeds champions because these kids really know what it takes to get there and they really make the most of that opportunity. And then once they're In employment, they're earning closer to the median monthly income of white South Africans than black South Africans. So in one generation and at that early stage in their careers, they are um, jumping the, the income gap, which is the whole point of what we are doing. So that's good to know that it's being achieved. No, that's
0: amazing. Do you credit that to the actual teaching that's being provided or more the mentoring that somebody actually cares about them? So UCAMF Youth
1: doesn't do any teaching. We don't deliver curriculum or content. And the way it works is that the learners bring the work that they're struggling with to after-school sessions that are very organically and uh, from the outside are chaotically organized where uh, the learners self-organize into groups and engage in peer-to-peer learning with the tutors who are university students, many of whom used to be learners in the program themselves, Are walking around and helping them where they get stuck, um, facilitating the peer-to-peer learning. So, I think it's that approach where essentially people are being provided a space where they're learning how to learn, they're learning how to learn together, they're learning how to identify what it is that they don't know, and to ask for help, and um, and for it to be okay, because most of them are in classes with massive numbers of learners. All of very varying um, degrees of capability and um, language challenges. And the teachers are really in a tough, tough position to try and get through all the curriculum and meet each individual's needs. So learners are often just quiet through the class and don't get used to putting up their hands and speaking up and saying and asking questions. And so it's really just modeling that that I think has stood our learners in good stead for uh, university careers and employment.
0: And how did you get financing for all of this? We
1: really struggled to access financing in the early years. A group of young, idealistic, naive people who didn't know what they were doing and had no contacts. uh, So you were just doing (laughs) it as
0: volunteers at the beginning, nobody was being paid?
1: For the first five years we had absolutely no money so we carpooled and that was really the extent of the costs because um it was yeah it's it's free to to share information and to spend time with people so so we we managed in that one library achieving a lot of amazing things with very little funding and getting everything that we needed Contributed in kind. So we would negotiate access to venues, access to all kinds of things um, in kind. And then we started to need money as we needed to cover the transport costs for more and more volunteers and managed to get access to a family trust through a volunteer who had a connection. And it was for that reason that we actually incorporated as a nonprofit. 2005 was the first year that we got matric results it was our first matric cohort the, supr- the results surprised us we weren't expecting them to be nearly as good 2006 we got the same amazing results with more kids and and with each year the matriculants then return as volunteers and so the cohort keeps grew, going keeps growing and i think it's um it's thanks to, to that model, the fact that it's very low cost, it has a high impact, um, that it's a very fundable and investable model. So we started to attract attention from other foundations, from corporates, um, and eventually from governments. So when we first started, f- foundations would say, volunteerism isn't sustainable, this isn't going to work. And then they would say what do you mean that young university students who are not trained or qualified as teachers are going to do the teaching? Because that doesn't sound like it's going to work. Um, And so a lot of what we do is really against um, what was thought of as common sense at the time. Um, We've thankfully changed and shifted those ideas and they're now government policies around peer-to-peer learning and the importance. So the government has grasped this. They really have. Um uh yeah, the Department of Basic Education invited us to join in a in a ten year long partnership and they want to scale us up through the country, which is very exciting. And corporate South Africa has also really stood up because our learners and our tutors are their future customers and employees. And so it really makes sense as an investment for them as well in terms of their HR pipeline. Um, A lot of the banks um, invest in us. It it makes um, economic sense and financial sense for, for South African corporates too.
0: Now, I know you've handed over the program now, but I also know that you're someone who's looking for innovative solutions to big social problems. What are you working on next? So in terms of the great big goal, it's the same goal.
1: Um, I'm really committed to doing all that I can to redress inequality and to alleviate poverty. The work with Ecom for Youth has been massively inspiring and I've learned so much and I feel really privileged to be a part of it. And I've also realized that after doing it for 15 years that um, that amazing team didn't need me any longer. Uh, and so um, in looking to the next challenge, I thought I want to still I'm still committed to this big goal, but I would like to do it in a way where I don't have to fundraise. So I felt like a lot of my job as the director of become for Youth was around mobilizing resources um, and the, what drew me to the work in the first place was working with the young people. So I have been intrigued to see the massive, exponential, and speedy growth of the medicinal cannabis industry internationally. And knowing that Southern Africa grows some of the world's best cannabis, I'm quite intrigued. I won't ask how you know that. <laughs> everybody knows that Emma (laughs) I'm sure you do too (laughs) I'm intrigued to see how we can how we can bring centuries worth of knowledge of perfect climates of very special strains and connect the people who are growing that amazing product with a global market that is paying a lot of money for that product
0: Joy, I wish you all the best (laughs) with that endeavour. Thank you very much. Thank you so much.